If you would, turn to Matthew 15 as we continue our series in Matthew, as we look at his narrative this morning in the last part of chapter 15. A bit of a longer passage this morning. And if you would, look with me beginning in verse 21. If you remember prior to what we're about to read, Jesus was in Gennesaret. There were people in the region who were sick and he was healing them. Then the the Pharisees and the scribes make a 90-mile trip from Jerusalem to confront Jesus with his with the problems they have with him and his disciples, his disciples not washing their hands. And it is another one of the many opposing moments in Jesus's ministry where he's facing these scribes and Pharisees. And if you remember back as far as chapter 12, once he had declared him as the Lord of the Sabbath, the the Pharisees and the scribes looked for a way to destroy him. They looked for a way to kill him. And so that begins, that, that lays the backdrop for what we're about to read in chapter 15, verse 21. After this confrontation, verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then... Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And his disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? 
They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave to them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the, Lord, the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for narratives like this that, that you inspired that we might learn from you. Lord, honor your name and honor your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Well, after this confrontation with the Pharisees about unwashed hands and misuse of Scripture and evil hearts, Jesus tells his disciples in that passage to leave them alone because they are blind guides who have no faith and who lack compassion. And, and because of their arrogance, they, they do not see their own wicked hearts that are in, in deep need of change. And in 1521, Jesus does exactly what he counseled his disciples to do. He leaves Galilee. And he went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And these religious hypocrites, he leaves them behind. These, these Pharisees and scribes who have followed after him as far as Jerusalem, he leaves them behind. He goes into this area called Tyre and Sidon, coastal towns, which would be in what is known modern-day Lebanon, about 30 miles northwest from where he was. And he, he does not enter their cities, but he remains in this remote countryside in, in need of rest and in need of solitude. Mark tells us in his account of this story that Jesus wanted to be by himself. And he went into a house so that no one would know that he is there. Jesus is, is spent and he is wearied and he needs a break because he's human. And he needs relief from this continued opposition and from the ministry that he has been doing and all its demands. So he makes his way to this area, which is Gentile territory. This, this is the area that Jesus, as a Jew, should never go into. It is an area that would be completely unclean. Just the very conversation he had previously with the scribes and Pharisees about unwashed hands and uncleanness, going into a Gentile area... Connecting with Gentiles who are considered unclean, this is where Jesus goes. And he goes there because he knows the scribes and the Pharisees will not follow him there. They will not go into this Gentile area. And in Mark, we learn that after arriving there and Jesus hides in this house, not, anyone, not wanting anyone to know where he was, Matthew, earlier, if you remember in Matthew 4, we find out that his fame had spread everywhere, even to the Gentile region. So it's no surprise when his presence is soon discovered by a very desperate woman. 
And the, these three stories that we just read, they, they follow Jesus' conflict with these scribes and Pharisees, and they give us a lesson about faith. But more than faith. They give us a lesson about faith in the character and work of Christ. Of these three stories, the first one we read portrays Jesus in a shocking fashion that leaves many readers confused, perplexed, troubled, because we see a side of Jesus we've never seen before. In, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy learn from Mr. Beaver who Aslan really is. They ask if he's a tame lion, a tame and safe lion. And they are told by Mr. Beaver, no, he, he's not safe. But he is good. And in, this, in that story of Lewis's, he's encouraging his readers to consider God's unpredictability. And like Aslan, Jesus shows us his unpredictability in this story with this Canaanite woman. Jesus is... Jesus' unpredictability offended the Pharisees often. And when Jesus told them it was their heart that's their problem, not their unwashed hands, it was his unpredictability that offended them. When he's the Lord of the Sabbath, it's his unpredictability that offends them. When his claim that he is the Son of God, it is his unpredictability that troubles them. His unpredictability here. I've tried fishing. I do not like fishing. Why catch something I will never eat? And why spend all day trying to catch something that I'm going to throw back anyway? There is therapy for people who fish. But at least those who fish have one good idea. It's called a bobber. It's that thing that floats on the water and it has the, the line and the hook underneath. And you know what's underneath. Faith is an important element to this passage, to these three stories, particularly to this first story. Faith is important. It's important to what we're reading today. But faith is more like the bobber. And lest we get wrongly sidetracked and see that this is only a story about faith, that's just what's floating on top in this story. Matthew wants us to see something far deeper under the surface. His point in these three stories, they are not so much about faith, but who you have faith in. That is what he is after. And what he wants us to know is that faith is knowing Jesus and his compassionate heart towards his creation. To those who are harassed and helpless. And each person in the stories that we've just read are harassed and helpless. And Christ, in his compassion, he meets the needs of the Canaanite woman. He meets the needs of the great crowds that come to him both for healing and for food. And his mercy didn't depend upon who they were 
He wasn't put off by who they were or what they had done, but who he is. He is the Lord, the son of David. So we are going to see a Canaanite woman with a desperate need, a great crowd with many needs, and a compassionate Savior who sees all our needs. In 15.22, Matthew uses this word that he has used again and again in his in his gospel. And behold, he, he says the word behold because he wants us to behold. He wants to grab our attention once again, pointing out the extraordinary nature of this story he is about to tell. A pagan, a Canaanite woman, an unclean Gentile, a descendant from Israel's ancient and bitter enemy, comes to Jesus and pleads for mercy. She pleads for mercy for her little daughter who is severely and wickedly tormented by a demon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demons. In her cry, she recognizes Jesus as Israel's Messiah. O Lord, Son of David. She undoubtedly had heard about his ability to heal, and she fully believes Jesus can heal her and, and help her with her greatest problem. But she, she has some things going against her. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite enemy. She's a woman who is outside the covenant community of Christ. So Jesus does something unpredictable. He ignores her. This is definitely the most anti-evangelistic response ever recorded in Scripture. Then in verse 23... But he did not answer her a word. And so there's silence for a moment. But it doesn't remain silent for long. And his disciples came and begged him. So here's a woman begging for help. And now his disciples come begging. In view of all that Matthew has recorded about the compassion of Jesus, this response really is shocking. We would have expected for him to at once help this woman and given her what she needed. What is remarkable about this story is that he doesn't. He doesn't respond to her. He stays silent. But, but she remains persistent and she pleads loud in her request and unwilling to be ignored. And the disciples, though, they, 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 they're not going to be ignored. And so they, they go to Jesus. They are troubled. They're probably irritated. They're definitely annoyed with this woman. And so they beg Jesus to send her away. And behind their begging is, is very much most likely them telling her, give her what she wants so she will go away. And then in verse 24, he turns to them. He answered and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is telling his disciples, remember what I told you in Matthew 10? When I sent you out two by two, 
When I sent you out with the gospel, I said, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There'll be a time when you will go to the Gentiles, but now is not that time. And he responds to his disciples with those words. So he still refuses to do anything for this woman. But she, oh, she is undeterred. Verse 25, but she came. She, most, she was right there. So she heard Jesus' response to his disciples. But she came and knelt before him. It is an act of a sign of worship. She literally, it says in the Greek, she threw herself down in front of him. Lord, help me, she cries. Now every parent would understand this. Every parent would know this experience of crying to God for a child who is seriously ill, who is suffering. And that is what this woman is doing. And then in verse 26, Jesus' response is unpredictable. In fact, it is stunning. It is, it is a response that not one of us would have written or would have done to this woman. In essence, he, does, he says this, and he answered her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In essence, he calls her a dog. Now the only thing worse he could have said was to call her a cat. <laughs> now in ancient times, especially in Israel, to be called a dog was the greatest of insults. Most dogs roamed around the streets. They were hunting and scratching for food. They were filthy animals. They were wild animals. And maybe a few wealthy Jewish households had domesticated little dogs that they would, they would keep as pets. But even still, they were dogs. And Jesus says to her, it is not right to give you a dog what I should only be giving the children of Israel. Now, <laughs> it might seem Jesus is excessively cruel at this moment. He's not cruel. His compassion is evident but it is hiding behind his purpose in testing her faith. She knows well that she is a pagan woman. And in fact, she responds. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She, she sees, she knows she's a pagan woman. She knows she is unclean in the eyes of her Lord and Savior, like a despised dog. She, she does not defend herself, but she admits that this is who she is. She, she accepts Jesus' implication, 
But in her humility, she also reveals she's got this remarkable faith in him. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Her daughter is grievously tormented, and she needs supernatural help that only Christ the son of David, the Lord, can give her. And sh- but she is confident that even if she is not entitled to sit down at the table and eat at the master's table, she can at least be given a crumb of his mercy. Jesus, he seems harsh, unkind, and ungodlike towards this woman. And yet, It is just the opposite. Her good and the good of her daughter is foremost in his mind as he remains, in the process, he's remaining faithful to his mission to the house of Israel. But but he he is not denying this woman. He is testing her. Now, there are times in our lives when we, we don't understand God's providence, his dark providence and his wisdom as he works out his sovereign purposes in our lives. More often than not, the way God works in our lives troubles us and confuses us. I, I've wondered personally, this is my own story. Why, why does God not heal my granddaughter, Kate, who suffers with severe autism? I, I see a story like this. I see a a daughter healed. And I think, Lord, have you forgotten my granddaughter, Kate? And there's just silence. I see him heal so many in Scripture. And I ask when, when each week I go through the prayer list that Nora sends out to us so we can pray as a church I see, why does he allow Walt and Kathy and Ivy and Despy and Bill to suffer? Have you wondered why, why does he allow your child to be so difficult, so wayward at times, so angry, and you've pleaded with the Lord so many times? You have faith in him, but why doesn't he answer? And in silence and rejection and insult, this Gentile woman remains undeterred because. And here's what this, the whole point of this story is about. She knows who Jesus is. He is the Lord and he is the Messiah and that he does good only does good to people as he does for you and me. Is Jesus really being unkind here? Does he really see her as a dog? No, no. Even in this dialogue, he truly sees her as someone created in 
God's image. She's not an animal. She is a woman fashioned by his father. And with mercy, he sees beyond her sin. He sees beyond her estate. He sees her humility. And he sees most of all her her faith in him because she acknowledges who he is. And he is amazed by her faith, by her trust, by her acknowledgement. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You know, before our conversion, we were no different than this woman. She was an outsider, an unbelieving pagan. And as a Gentile woman, she had no merit. She had no heritage to commend her. Nothing that would allow her to come before God. And so were we. All all Gentiles were seen as outsiders and undeserving of God's covenant mercy. And so were we before Christ came and transformed us by his saving grace. He ignored her. He rejected her. He insulted her. And yet her confidence in his His character and in his mercy and in his compassion never wavered. She knew who he was. That's where her faith was anchored. She knew him. It wasn't that she had so much faith that it was overflowing. It wasn't about quantity. It was about who she knew he was. And her faith propelled her to keep pleading, even to the point of challenging the very words that Jesus himself used. She didn't argue. She agreed with his assessment that she is a sinner in need of a savior. But she also reminds him who he is. Even as a pagan, wicked sinner, a crumb of his mercy is all that she needed from him. And there is that stunning turnabout that he does exactly what she asks. Her bold reply turned the tide. She, she refused to be excluded from Christ. And he responds to her with great warmth and encouragement. He commends her and he heals her daughter. And looking back, it was, it's surprising that she didn't fly off into a fit of rage and anger when he was ignoring her and insulting her and rejecting her. It, it's, it, it's amazing to me that she didn't say, is this the one that is famous for his tenderness and compassion and concern? How many others has he responded to and healed and delivered? Why do I have to be the first one rejected by him? Why is he so distant to me when he's helped so many others? Is all that I heard about him a lie? And brothers and sisters, those thoughts sometimes creep into our hearts and our minds when we are troubled or we are experiencing what this woman is experiencing. But understand this. In her life and in yours, Jesus knows 
what he's doing when he does not answer. He, he didn't answer her that she might become even more earnest in prayer, which is exactly what she did. And, and sometimes when, when we, we can feel like this woman, when God doesn't regard our prayer as though he is asleep or he's angry with us, but that's not true. We, we just don't see his mercy behind our situation. But he's proving our faith so that we would see him more glorious than when we saw him before. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 7 why he does this. In this you rejoice, Peter writes, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One crumb of mercy was all she asked for. And this showed the Savior her genuine faith. And brothers and sisters, one crumb of mercy is all we need. The psalmist had the same cry. In Psalm 84.10, he said, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather eat a crumb from the table of the master then enjoy a feast in a world without God. Just one crumb is all the psalmist asked for. Jesus, Jesus gave this desperate, faith-filled woman so much more. Her daughter is delivered, and more importantly, this Canaanite, once pagan woman gained the kingdom of God. Her faith was not about healing, but belief in the reality and character and mercy of the Messiah. The same mercy you experienced when you came to faith in Christ. The same mercy that you experienced because the gospel is still alive and real every day in your life. Because Jesus is present and caring for you and sympathizing with you and compassionate towards you and merciful towards you. A whole different story could have happened here. Listen, a proud heart would have not endured this kind of testing. She could have gone away grumbling and complaining that God is not who he says he is. But she proved otherwise. There's also this... Other part of the story, a great crowd with many needs. Matthew continues in his narrative to put a spotlight on Jesus' mercy and our faith. The Savior's compassion did not stop with healing the little girl. Jesus went on from there, verse 29, and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him, they threw them at his feet. And what does he do? He heals them. He highlights in this passage that Jesus' compassionate care is available to all. 
In the same way he had compassion on the harassed and helpless people of Israel who were like sheep without a shepherd. And his compassion towards this little girl and her mother who were like dogs eating scraps from a heap. That same compassion continues to a larger group. And we're in that group. We're We're with the woman and we're with this crowd. That crowd came expecting what they had heard about Jesus. That he was compassionate, that he was powerful, and that he could heal. His mercy and compassion and healing grace transformed their lives. Because at the end, he says, and they glorified the God of Israel. These pagans... They glorify the God of Israel. Not their pagan gods, but now the one they have come to know as the true God. And then Matthew closes with just another example of Jesus' compassion. Then Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. This great crowd of 4,000 with desperate needs that Jesus has just met for the last three days who've been afflicted, they now, they now need food. And so he feeds them. He feeds them. And he teaches his disciples another lesson in faith. He says to his disciples, they're hungry. And his disciples says, where are we going to get enough food? Now, Jesus isn't rebuking them. He didn't rebuke them in the feeding of the 5,000. And he's not rebuking them there for having little faith. He's just training their faith. He's showing them by his compassion who he is and who they can trust in. And like before, the feeding of so many is a foretaste of the kingdom to come, the gospel that is meant to go far beyond the borders of Israel to the entire world. This is Matthew 28 being fulfilled, going into all the nations. These Gentiles are getting so much more than crumbs. They're getting bread. He's miraculously feeding this large crowd, even though they're not Jews. He fed the Gentiles. Listen, he's doing so much more than dropping crumbs. By feeding these needy people, he is expanding his kingdom. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus' mercy is available to all who believe in him. He's compassionate. And in the same way he had compassion on the harassed and helpless, he has compassion on you. The the humbled Canaanite woman is a vivid picture of Christ humbling each one of us to the lowest place that he might raise us up in saving grace. Seeing herself as a dog was literally the first step to her salvation by recognizing that she did not deserve anything. She could not merit anything from God. All she knew was that he was merciful and he was compassionate and that he could save. And that is where her faith rested. That's where our faith rests. It rests in the one who 
gives us so much more than crumbs. It rests in the one who, who came to us, who did not merit any favor, who did not deserve one crumb, and he came and gave his life for us by dying for our sins on the cross, bleeding for us, taking on God's wrath in our place, that we might not just have crumbs, but that we might feast at his table on that last day. Listen, it's not where you're from or it is not what you've done that matters. But it's his mercy that matters. A mercy made possible through his death for our sins and his resurrection for our life. That's the God we serve, brothers and sisters. That's the God who came to earth. That's the God who is present with us right now. That's the God that we can celebrate. And let's do so now. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, thank you that you have come in your son, Jesus Christ. And you have given us so much more than crumbs from a table. You have given us not just mercy and compassion, but you've given us eternal life. You've given us an inheritance. You've given us your Holy Spirit that we might be able to live for you. Thank you for the kingdom you have invited us into. In Jesus' name.